Chapter 37 of Plum Pudding Of Diverse Ingredients Discreetly Blended and Seasoned This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Amelia Chesley Plum Pudding Of Diverse Ingredients Discreetly Blended and Seasoned by Christopher Morley Thoughts in the Subway 1. We hear people complain about the subway, its brutal competitive struggle, its roaring fury and madness. We think they have not sufficiently considered it. Any experience shared daily and for a long time by a great many people comes to have a communal and social importance. It is desirable to fill it with meaning and see whether there may not be some beauty in it. The task of civilization is not to be always looking wistfully back at a good time long ago, or always panting for a doubtful millennium to come, but to see the significance and secret of that which is around us. And so we say, in full seriousness, that for one observer, at any rate, the subway is a great school of human study. We will not say that it is an easy school. It is no kindergarten. The curriculum is strenuous and wearying, and not always conducive to blithe cheer. But what a tide of humanity, poured to and fro in great tides over which the units have little control. What a sharp and troubled awareness of our fellow beings, drawn from study of those thousands of faces, the fresh living beauty of the girls, the faces of men empty of all but suffering and disillusion, a shabby errand boy asleep, goggling with weariness and adenoids. So they go, crashing through the dark, in a patient fellowship of hope and mysterious endurance. How can one pass through this quotidian immersion in humanity without being in some small degree enriched by that admiring pity, which is the only emotion that can permanently endure under the eye of a questioning star? Why, one wonders, should we cry out at the pangs and scuffles of the subway? Do we expect great things to come to pass without corresponding suffering? Some day a great poet will be born in the subway, spiritually speaking, one great enough to show us the terrific and savage beauty of this multitudinous miracle. As one watches each of those passengers, riding with some inscrutable purpose of his own, or an even more inscrutable lack of purpose, toward duty or liberation, he may be touched with anger and contempt toward individuals, but he must admit the majesty of the spectacle in the mass. One who loves his country for a certain candor and quick vigor of spirit will view the scene again and again in the hope of spying out some secrets of the national mind and destiny. Daily he bathes in America. He has that curious sense of mystical meaning in common things that a traveler feels coming home from abroad when he finds even the most casual glimpses strangely pregnant with national identity. In the advertisements, despite all their absurdities, in voices humorous or sullen, even in the books that the girls are reading, for most girls read books in the subway, he will try to divine some authentic law of life. He is but a poor and mean-spirited lover, whether of his city, his country, or anything else, who loves her only because he has known no other. We are shy of vociferating patriotism because it is callow and empty, sprung generally from mere ignorance. 
The true enthusiast, we would like to think, is he who can travel daily some dozen or score of miles in the subway, plunged in the warm wedlock of the rush hours, and can still gather some queer loyalty to that rough, drastic experience. Other than a sense of pity and affection towards those strangely sculptured faces, all busy upon the fatal tasks of men, it is hard to be precise as to just what he has learned. But as the crowd pours from the cars and shrugs off the burden of the journey, you may see them looking upward to console themselves, with perpendicular loveliness leaping into the clear sky. Ah, they are well trained. All are oppressed and shackled by things greater than themselves, yet within their own orbits of free movement they are masters of the event. They are patient and friendly and endlessly brave. Two. The train roared through the subway, that warm typhoon whipping light summer dresses in a multitudinous flutter. All down the bright, crowded aisle of patient humanity I could see their blowing colors. My eyes were touched with truth. I saw them as they are, beautiful and brave. Is time never sated with loveliness? How many millions such he has devoured, and must he take these too? They are so young, so slender, so untutored, such unconscious vessels of amazing life, so courageous in their simple finery, so unaware of the enemy that waits for us all. With what strange cruelties will he trouble them, their very gaiety a temptation to his hand? See them on Broadway at the lunch hour, pouring in their vivacious thousands onto the pavement. Is there no one who wonders about these merry little hostages? Can you look on them without marveling at their gallant mien? They are aware of their charms, but unconscious of their loveliness. Surely they are a new generation of their sex, cool, assured, even capable. They are happy because they do not think too much. They are lovely because they are so perishable. Because despite their naive assumption of certainty, one knows them so delightfully only an innocent ornament of this business world of which they are so ignorant. They are the cheerful children of downtown, and downtown looks upon them with the affectionate compassion children merit. Their joys, their tragedies, are the emotions of children, all the more terrible for that reason. And so you see them day after day, blithely and gallantly faring onward in this children's crusade. Can you see that caravan of life without a pang? For many, it is tragic to be young and beautiful and a woman. Luckily, they do not know it, and they never will. But in courage and curiosity and loveliness, how they put us all to shame. I see them flashing by in the subway train, golden sphinxes, whose riddles, as Mr. Cable said of woman, are not worth solving. Yet they are all the more appealing for that fact. For surely to be a riddle which is not worth solving, and still is cherished as a riddle, is the greatest mystery of all. What strange journeys lie before them, and how triumphantly they walk the precipices, as though they were mere meadow paths. My eyes were touched with truth, and I saw them as they are, beautiful and brave. And sometimes I think that even time must be sated with loveliness, that he will not crumble them or mar their gallant childishness, that he will leave them their bright dresses flittering, as I have seen them in the subway many a summer day.
End of chapter 37.